Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this past weekend of racing. Joining me in the studio this week, Mr. Richard Uden and Mr. Seth Eggert. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing good. Very good, thank you. Alright, pretty quiet weekend in racing, we only had... um. The, uh, the only major series in action was NASCAR. Uh, they got rained out till um, Monday at uh, Dover. The big winner was Martin Truex. Um, IMSA was also in action this weekend. Um, the IndyCar series is making preparations for uh, beginning the, the, the month of May. And um, Formula One is getting ready for their European swing. So uh, let's start with Dover. So, Seth, the... Um, the first weekend with the uh, old slash new qualifying procedures, uh, did we see any issues in qualifying, uh, or do you feel like that went off without a hitch? Qualifying honestly went off without a hitch, and one of the things that actually made this possible that apparently was the driving force or one of the driving forces that encouraged NASCAR to make this move was the new uh, ghost car imaging that uh, Fox News doing good. Uh, Fox Sports has been uh, using this year that overlays each car on top of each other. And Chase Elliott got the pole. It was a brand new track record. I believe the top seven uh, broke the track record. And when I say broke it, they were about three to four miles per hour faster than the track record. That's a pretty yeah. That's a pretty big step in just one year or so. But overall, though, the uh, some of the drivers were not happy with the package and race trim. You know, especially uh, I believe Kyle Busch said something along the lines of, um, "It sucks." Uh, he, he. Where did Kyle Busch finish? Tenth. Oh, there you go. And Kyle <laughs> Busch's his uh, tenth place finish ties a record with uh, Morgan Shepard uh, for consecutive. Top 10 finishes to start a season. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's no doubt the guy's consistent, but he's not bothered about finishing 10th, is he? Honestly, uh, no, no, he, he's not. He used to be 
being down that far, you know, unlike Morgan Shepard, who uh, a top 10 is like a gift. So nowadays, yeah, I was going to say, what, what year did uh, Morgan Shepard set that one? In 1991, I believe, he was driving for the Wood Brothers. Driving the motorcraft car, yes, I remember it well. Yeah, actually, I uh, I met Morgan some sometime around that uh, period in time. I, I met him in a restaurant. He stopped in for lunch just uh, out of nowhere. So uh, interesting cat, that Morgan Shepard. But uh, let's get back to um, the current uh, century and, um, and talk about the race. So uh, we had um, the... The first two stages looked to be rather competitive, but then, then in the end, Martin Truex pulled out a, a very unassailable lead, and it just kind of just got into a, to kind of a you know almost a boring groove there. Yeah, but at the same time, we also saw Chevrolet really come to life for the first time in almost a year and a half, two years. Uh, you had. Chase Elliott dominated the first two stages, although he didn't actually win either of the stages. Uh, Alex Bowman came to within half a lap of winning the second stage. Kyle Larson finally got the monkey off his back and finished third. Uh, and he had William Byron and Jimmy Johnson up in the top ten for quite a bit of race. So Chevrolet seems to be back. Granted, uh, this weekend at Kansas and in two weeks at Charlotte will really tell the tale, but they're much more competitive than they have been. Yeah, this is Chevrolet coming off of a big, uh, big weekend in Talladega where they had banded together as a team uh, to ensure that they won that race as well. So uh, now, Richard, uh, you've worked in NASCAR, you've worked on some Chevrolet cars. Yes. Um, do you feel like Chevrolet is actually back? Uh, can they sustain this, or are they still just uh, the third banana? Well, with these days, with so many damn aero packages floating around in NASCAR, it's pretty difficult to really sort of, you know, tell much from one race, as, as Seth was saying. But the money is there within Chevrolet, and at some point they're going to start to come good, and they're going to improve. So I, 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 I'm pretty confident that they will... Um, you know, certainly do better than how the first half of the season. I don't think a Chevrolet's won a race yet this year. Oh, Chase Elliott's won one. I think that's it, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, it's in the Cup Series, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, and Talladega's a crapshoot, as you all know. I mean, you can't really pick anything out of that. So, um, you know, what I would call a real race, no, they haven't won anything yet. So, they'll get there, I'm sure of it. And, uh, you know, Dover's a good track to get a solid result. It's a what I would call a proper track. It's 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 a you know car track. It's not one of these sort of strange like an Atlanta or a Phoenix or something like that that you can put tires into the mix too much. You know, Dover's engine and engine and an aero. So um, yeah, they look pretty good. And uh, you know, obviously you go to Kansas next week, see how they do there, and then just keep you know checking off the boxes. And uh, you know, they've got two shots at Charlotte for for most of those Chevy tip cars. So it'll um, you know give them some miles under the book. Now, Richard, what was your feeling about the um, arrow at Dover? Uh, like, like, like we talked about, Kyle Busch didn't like it, but sure, yeah, he he didn't win. But yeah, uh, now you um, you who weren't entered in the race and didn't really have a stake in it, but uh, <laughs> you know you know a lot about these things. Uh, did you feel like the package worked well there, or uh, was it entertaining for the spectator, which is which is the ultimate goal? Yeah, I mean, ooh. it gets. It's, it's difficult to say based on one race, but I, I think that 
what we're starting to see is, you know, you look back at the first few races of the year where they ran this package and it, you got pretty good reviews. Now teams are starting to understand the package better. You're, it's maybe not quite as effective as it was. Um, and I noticed today that NASCAR have changed the regulations for a couple of the tracks later in the year to try and keep it fresh, I guess. But um, it, it's certainly better than it was last year. Was it better than some of the races earlier in the year with the new aero? I mean, this is like the old new aero package or something, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it's a bit of a mashup of brake ducks and all this other stuff. Um, I, I don't think it's as good as they want it to be. Um, is it better? Yeah, I think it's better. Um, but again, we talk, you know, I talked about this still blue in the face. You know, the, you give these teams a restriction and the bigger the team, the more money they can throw at trying to find loopholes or, you know, get the way out of this restriction. So, the, the, you know, the teams with the more money are going to end up dominating pretty quickly. And that's probably what you're starting to see again. Well, at the same time, uh, at least for the tracks that you said that they changed the regulations, uh, Darlington, Homestead, and Pocono, what they found through this first part of the season is the aero ducts uh, are not actually affecting the brakes the way they anticipated. So therefore, instead of having uh, the giant brake ducts at those tracks, they're going to have the aero ducts like they have or uh, had pretty much the entire season. Yeah. Except for the short, uh, the uh, short tracks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll, I think it'll... I don't know what you, what you what you guys think, but sometimes I think that NASCAR are like just lost a little bit with this whole thing. You know, they're making change, they make a change, they make a change. It's always like a different change every week because, and I, I'm a big believer, firm believer in this, and a lot of people said this. That unfortunately, the teams are smarter than NASCAR. You know, NASCAR has three or four aero guys that work for them. You know. Company, a team like Toyota or Gibbs will probably have a dozen aero guys working for them and they'll find the loopholes and find the uh, little tweaks far far quicker than NASCAR will so NASCAR with the nature of what who they are and as a governing body they're always behind the game a little bit so you, I get this feeling that they're just trying to play a catch up with the teams and maybe they're trying a little bit harder now than they have in the last few years because they realise the sport's on the decline and they've got to do something about it well if that's the case, just my personal opinion, uh, because it almost seems like it runs this way every season or every time it's a major aero package change. Once the teams start figuring it out, it's usually within a week, two, maybe three weeks at that point that we start seeing more penalties coming out. So at the rate it's going... I honestly would not be surprised to see someone get disqualified in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an interesting the, point. Yeah, I, I was Kansas's and Charlotte's of the world, and they're perfect tracks where you you lean on a bit of bodywork, or you know, stand on the splitter, or put a bit of mock bodywork on the top of the spoiler, or something like that, just to try and you know give you those couple of extra pounds of downforce and. Uh, you know, those two tracks are, are pretty similar and they're a sort of prime candidates for that sort of um, shenanigans. Yeah, I was going to mention that we, we it seems like we've been seeing fewer penalties this year thus far. And I guess you know, some of that is related to the fact that uh, the rules are almost different every week. So uh, well, until, until we learn everything that's... about it and how to exploit it fully... Well, uh, I, I think you're right, Seth. The, the and Richard, the penalties are forthcoming. We're gonna we're gonna find somebody to exploit that fully. And to be a hundred percent fair, 
there actually have been more penalties prior to the race this season. Uh, we've had a number of drivers uh, actually lose their starting position because the car failed pre-race tech. Uh, prime examples this past weekend, Martin Truex Jr., who won the race, and Alex Bowman, who finished runner-up. So they, they both failed pre-race? Yes. I mean, that tells you everything See, you need to know about it. The ones that always surprise me are the guys that, that, the guys that pass the pre-race and then fail the post-race. I mean, that's those are the ones that always make me raise the eyebrow. When you fail the pre-race, they say, okay, well, we're not going to get by with that. Let's just make it right. Well, you remember when uh, Jimmy Johnson won the championship a few years ago? He passed pre-race, and then they pulled him out of line on, the, uh, on, on pit road before the race, and he failed. I do remember uh, yeah. that. That was, so, two, that was 2016. Or uh, the time Jimmy Johnson won uh, Taldega, I want to say it was 2012, maybe. And somebody uh, came over the radio and said, you know what to do, crack the back. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you hear it all the time. You know, you know the routine. You know, you know, you know what we need. Um, you know, burn her down. You know, blow an engine or... I mean, the old one they used to do is they used to, you know, slam the car into the wall on pit road and, and shred the rear tyres, which would destroy the rear bodywork. And NASCAR clamped down on that now. NASCAR That's take a very, yeah. very dim view of a team telling a driver explicitly to, to do burnouts and um, damage a car in that way because there's so many areas for gain in that part of the car that, you know... Um, Damage, you know, damage to it can make it almost impossible for them to police it. I mean, you've seen teammates run into each other at the end of the race, and you know, a car failed post-race inspection back at the tech center, and then they say, "Oh, it was damage, you know, it was impact, it was you know, contact." Oh, yeah, his teammate drove into him at the end, of, you know, after. The- or uh, the other famous one that comes to mind, uh, Clint Boyer. I want to say it was the 2009 chase uh, at New Hampshire. He had won. And at the tech center, he failed tech by a quarter of an inch, and the team blamed it on the tow truck that pushed him back around because yeah. he ran out of gas. Yep. Oh, there's so many little yeah, things. Yeah, but I, yeah, I remember somebody claiming that the uh, they they failed tech because the driver climbed up on the on the roof of the car to celebrate after he'd won. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, there's there's all kind of funny ways to. I I remember years ago, <laughs> this is one of the funniest ones where they um they used to weigh Formula One cars with the driver. Yep. And and, and then uh, Michael Schumacher's um had had come in underweight, and he blamed them on the fact that he had taken a massive dump in between the time <laughs> the car was weighed and the time he, he raced. So I'm like, oh, the, I, oh. golly, I don't, I, I, you know, the, that German diet is hearty, but uh, exactly. I can't imagine, I can't imagine five kilos. So, so. yeah, I mean, the, you know, they used to like when you know, you know, you used to see the drivers run into the crack, you know, into the mechanics. They used to like slip water bottles into the pockets of their overalls and all this sort of stuff post race. I mean, but you've got to look at, you know, you wonder if, you know, all of these penalties and all of this sort of gamesmanship isn't just, you know, NASCAR doesn't. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Courage. I mean, you look at Formula One, how often do you have issues in Formula One with regulations? Very, very rarely. I mean, you had Sauber earlier in the year with their front wing, but it's it's far more controlled. You know, you don't have people, you know, trying to play the game and sneak a little bit of an advantage here and there. It's just not how the sport works. And it's interesting to see that difference. Yeah, and the same thing, you don't hear a lot of technical penalties in IndyCar either. No. I mean, it, it's it's nearly unheard of. You know, again, it is a spec car, and the engines are controlled by the uh, the manufacturers because they're on a lease. So there's there, there's a, not a lot of wiggle room there. But uh, you know, most of the penalties you see are you know on track sort of things. You know, like uh like like the blocking thing. You know, yep. with Scott Scott Dixon. Yeah, I, I, I block that wasn't a block. Yeah, well, I see that they effectively use that same strategy to win the, the Kentucky Derby as well. So, you know, get the, get the, the lead horse disqualified. So, but that's a different story for a, another show uh, about one horsepower racing. So, um, now we're off to uh, Kansas next, right? But before Correct. we start talking about Kansas, um, we, we had some support races at Dover. Yeah, we had both the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series in action. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, Christopher Bell went to victory lane. However, it was Cole Custer's race to lose, and unfortunately, he lost it on pit road. Uh, the pit crew just did not get him out in front of Christopher Bell. Bell had the better restart and just ran away with it. Uh, Custer had led 155 of the 200 laps. Uh, otherwise, the Xfinity race was relatively... Quiet. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Ryan Sieg, though. 14 laps into the race, he pitted with a loose right front tire, uh, went two laps down, was able to get back on the lead lap, and fell just shy of getting a top 10 in the race. And he did not get back on the lead lap until 14 laps to go. So it could have been a worse day for him. I mean, uh, Ryan Sieg this season. Outside Taldega, all of his finishes have been 12th or better for that family-owned team, which is impressive to say the least. Yeah, you got to hand it to them just for you know for a small local effort. Those guys really bring their A game every week. There was a crash coming to the checkered flag though between John Hunter Nemechek and Zane Smith, uh, which led to. Uh, some gestures from John Hunter on pit road post race. Uh, the two were racing hard and just ran out of room. Uh, Zane went across John Hunter's nose into the outside wall. John Hunter with a flat tire then went to the turn one wall. Otherwise, uh, the two drivers were okay, but uh, 
it was rather interesting to see the uh, gestures from John Hunter, considering he put Cole Custer in a similar position in a truck race a few years ago. Yeah, I want to say, um, yeah, John Hunter, he's he's a bit of a hothead, you know. Well, you know, we'll never, you know, forget to finish at uh, Canadian Motorsports Park. So uh, that, and, that, was, that was him involved in that little, yes. little scuffle, wasn't it? Right. Same yes, guy. and on that one, he came out on top with the victory. This time, that was for eighth place. Well, you got to admire his passion for the sport. So, um, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and... Uh, preview Kansas a little bit and make some picks. And then uh, we've got a couple of other things we want to talk about. I know, Seth, uh, you spent some time at the Penske shop. Uh, we had the inaugural race in the W Series. Uh, there had been some news about the Formula E Series coming out. And then we want to talk a little bit about Formula One. So let's uh, Kansas real quick. Um, Seth, preview Kansas for us. Uh, is this going to be something <clears throat> similar we've seen to, um, say, you know, like earlier we were at Atlanta? Which is kind uh, of a similar layout to uh, well, Kansas. Uh, I wouldn't say Atlanta because Atlanta is the oldest uh, pavement on the circuit. I would almost say your best bet might be to look at Texas because it was uh, Texas where the team started figuring out this package. <laughs> um, if it's anything like what I've seen and what people have been talking to me about... It's going to look a lot like the truck races have, where you're going to have almost like small packs, not the same packs as Daytona or Talladega or anything like that, but you would have maybe a pack of five cars here, a pack of four cars there, and the draft will be key. Oh, certainly the draft will be key. So with that with that in mind, who do you like for Kansas? Seth, you like Jimmy Johnson, I take it? <sighs> <laughs> just making your pick for you. <laughs> well, honestly, because it is still an unknown, I'm going to go with somebody who at least has been upfront in winning this season, and I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. Okay, now, Richard, who do you like? Um, He had a good run last weekend. Let's go with Alex Bowman. Bowman did have a couple of good runs lately, yeah. So, yeah, and, and real quick, there was actually an interesting stat that came out about Bowman. Uh, he has finished in every single position possible in the Cup Series except for first. Oh, that's and that's going back to when there were 43 cars in the field. Wow. That's a pretty uh, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. He's just mixing it up. He's just he's trying to fill his bingo card. <laughs> he's got that, got that one he can't. We're waiting for House, waiting to call House, certainly. Right, right. So uh, I, I like the Ford cars, honestly, and I'm going to say Harvick uh, because I honestly can't believe we're this deep into the season and we haven't seen at least one Kevin Harvick win. So I know that's coming, and I, maybe it's coming in Kansas. So uh, that being said, Kansas in a week. Um, now, Richard, the W Series or Formula W, uh, however you care to call it the uh, the first series for all female drivers it's it's very similar to the i mean in the car and engine very similar to formula three but they uh they held their first race at the hockenheim ring 
Um, their yeah. first trade it was delayed. They were supposed to start oh in Australia earlier, but uh, they, they did get off the ground. I, I don't believe the race was broadcast in the United States, not that I saw anyway. Uh, I know there's some clips no. out there streaming, but uh, Jamie Chadwick won from pole. Um, but what were your impressions of the uh, of the series, um, the reception for the series, and just the quality of racing? Um, I think he's going to take a little bit of time to mature. I think the the race from the highlights that I saw, I say it's unfortunate that, you know, I think both in the UK and the US, there's no live stream available, which is a little bit of a, <clears throat> oops. Um, it's not and helping we, a series to, to, to take off really. And there's um, two Americans in the series too. Yeah. Um, and the first round was, I'm not going to say won by a British girl, but it dominated by a British girl. I mean, it was pretty impressive her uh, performance at the weekend. She, you know, as fast as free practice, was on pole by a second or something, and then, from what I saw, had a pretty scrappy start to the race, and then it still ended up winning. Um, so, <laughs> Jamie Chadwick uh, is her name, and um, yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. I must admit her performance that uh, that weekend. Um, like any series, it's going to take time to take off, and it's got to gain the interest, and it's got to. Um, you get the viewing figures, get the people through the gates, get the people talking about it on social media and all that sort of stuff. And again, it has to be able to stand up in its own right. Uh, it can't be seen to be, for want of a better word, leeching off the success of other series. Um, it has to, it has to be successful in its own right. And um, certainly, yeah, and no they've guarantee. been, It'll yeah, they've there. they've been running this as a um, companion to uh, the DTM series. Which is a fairly popular series, the oh, German yes. touring tour car yeah, series. Yeah. yeah, so they're they're not playing to empty grandstands. So they they're you know they're a support race to a very successful series and a very you know and and when you consider uh, the depth of talent in that series, uh, you know that these teams can 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 lean on it. Sometimes just folks in the paddock talk to one another. Um, it's it's a good <laughs> link up. So, but oh, uh, Seth. Sure. Seth, let's talk a little bit about the two American uh, young ladies in the series. The one is uh, Shay Holbrook, and she's uh, most recently uh, had been running the, the Lamborghini series, and the other is uh, uh, Sabri Cook. Sabri Cook, and she's a, she's a product of the SCCA. Um, she's, she's run the Formula uh, 4, I'm sorry, Formula Ford, um, and she's done some <laughs> USF 2000 races, so um, I mean, pretty good uh, qualifications to to move up to what you what you would essentially call Formula Three. So, uh, how do you, how do you feel like the uh, the Americans represented themselves um, over the weekend? Well, unfortunately for Sabri, uh, she had transmission issues on the initial start. So by the time uh, she got her car in gear, and it wasn't a fault of her own. Apparently, post rates when they looked at it, she had started with a car that had a stripped first gear. Oh, nice. So uh, she ended up, I think, uh, 14th or so out of the 18. Granted, there two wrecked on the on lap one, which was in part because of the, the wet conditions. But honestly, uh, they had quiet outings for the first race. Uh the fact that Sabre was able to get her car started in second gear, I'll admit, is impressive nonetheless, uh, considering it was a standing start. Um, 
but that being said, uh, both she and uh, Shia Holbrook, they both have impressive stats just going into this. Uh, Shia, I've followed through sports car racing, most recently, like you said, Lamborghini. And Sabre, I've followed in uh, what was the Mazda Road to Indy. I believe she's still doing Pro Mazda this year, or I honestly forget the exact name of the series this year. But I know- uh, yeah, I think they call it um, uh, Indy Pro 2000. Yes. USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, and then Indy Lights, and then Indy Car. So, yeah, she's, she's still uh, hopping around in that series, which is a good experience. And, and again, like we said, uh, uh, Miss Holbrook um, is, uh, is, is also running the uh, Pirelli World Cup, driving a Lamborghini. So, But if you look at some of the other of folks uh, in the States that tested out for that. Um, Natalie Decker was one who's a product of uh, essentially um, circle track racing. Um, she didn't make the cut, but uh, I mean, do you feel like um, somebody coming out of that sort of background would, would make a good fit into this type series anyway? Cause it's really, it's, it's, it's a jump to go, to go from, uh, you know, doing, doing circle dirt tracks to a uh, European style um, single seater. Honestly, I, I want to say it would depend on the situation. And the main reason why I'm saying that is we don't have many men, let alone women, that can do a jump like that nowadays with how specialized each series has become. Uh, this was actually a topic of conversation I had with a few people earlier in the week and last week at Team Penske. Uh, you don't see a lot of people even attempting the double which is the Coke 600 in the 500, let alone uh, even attempting to make a complete transition from stock cars to open wheel to even sports cars, unless you're just that talented. Uh, I mean, yes, we've seen recently uh, Elio Castroneves go from, and Juan Pablo Montoya for that matter, go from IndyCar to sports car racing, but we haven't seen many drivers make the jump from stock cars to open wheel or vice versa and be successful at it. At least oh, not yeah. in. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I think the transition from IndyCar to sports car is quite natural. You see, you see, if you look at the sports car field, they're, they're kind of full, full of guys that had formerly fine careers in open wheel racing, uh, you know, from Formula One as well as, uh, as as well as IndyCar and some other disciplines. So, but um, uh, yeah, from but to go to European Formula racing now, Richard, you'll you'll be able to uh, articulate this a little bit. If we look at the young lady who won won the uh, W Series race, Jimmy Chadwick, uh, she's a product of I, th- I believe they call it the MRF Challenge now, which was formerly I, I would believe it was formerly Formula Renault, which yep. was a, a a very popular stepping stone. For anybody kind of that had Formula One as their end goal, uh, but but she's relatively light on you know years of experience and track time. Yeah, I mean you look at her. I mean she's only twenty years old for a start. So right, right. yeah, yeah. You know, um, but additionally, I mean the 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 um, the Formula MRF challenge that you you sort of mentioned is um it's a Asian sort of version of the Formula Renault series. Um, yeah, it's, only like, had, it's like cricket in India. Yeah, I mean they had. I mean, they, looking at it here, they only had three races in Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, and and somewhere in uh, Chennai in India. So it wasn't a 
and they had the grand total of five entrants in every race. So it wasn't a um, prolific series by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, hey, you can only beat who you race against. So, you know, you're not knocking her there by any stretch of the imagination. But you go back, at, you know, a little bit further in her sort of racing career and she raced British Formula 3, um, won a race there and finished in the top 10 in the, excuse me, championship both seasons. That's no mean feat. And she was the first woman, I think, to win yeah. in Formula 3 there. Uh, and also, she won the British D- GT Championship, which again is is a you know pretty competitive series. So you've got to give her a you know she obviously can handle herself pretty well out there on the track. And at only twenty years old, um, you know if she can go you know if she goes on and dominates the Formula W series or W series or whatever it's called, um, you know, and, and of the six or seven races they have in a year. If she goes out and wins, um, you know, three or four of them, and, and wins the championship quite comfortably, then um, it'll raise some eyebrows, I think, and it'll, you know, some some people with a little bit more clout in the sport may start to um, may start to take a look uh, at her, uh, which you know, and, and good luck to her. Um, you know, you've got to make a name somehow. Um, so yeah, good luck. And I know a couple of teams actually. Uh, tweeted uh, their congrats post-race. Uh, the one that caught my eye was uh, Aston Martin racing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, uh, you know, they'll obviously have a link somewhere going back into the British GT Championship, and Aston Martin are very heavily involved in that series, so I'm sure there's some link there, and their paths have crossed over the years. But, um, yeah, as I say, you know, if she can go out and dominate, win the championship, and win four of the six races or five of the six races, I mean, she was pretty dominant in, uh, in uh, Hockenheim. So, um, yeah, they're all, they're already speculating. You know, there's, it's already out there. Can anybody beat Jamie Chadwick? I'm like, well, you know, we're one race into the season, yeah. but uh, but it but, was, you know, I mean, qualifying. But, but good I mean, for her to make the headlines. Yeah, you know? I'll just see if I can find the figures here. I mean, qualifying. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it was a wet qualifying or not. Yeah, wet conditions. So fair enough. So. That does obviously increase the differential, but she qualified on pole by 1.7 seconds. I mean, that's that's no, you know, that's a big chunk of time in anybody's um, in anybody's book, even in the wet. Yeah, it certainly, uh, is. It certainly is. Yeah. On a you know, on a two-minute lap, uh, that's that's pretty good going. And then to you know to, to win the race was was you know, and again, and I'm not, from what I can remember, if I say I need to highlight, she didn't have a great race. Um, so to end up, you know, she made a couple of mistakes and lost a few positions at the start of the race. So to come back and win that race was pretty impressive. Yeah. So this is, this whole series is a work in progress, but, uh, you know, the fact that folks are talking about it, uh, is a good thing and just hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll serve its intended purpose and its intended purpose is to eventually, uh, put a female into formula one. Whether they want one or not, you know, we've there's a lot of really strong opinion there, and, and a lot of uh, a, a lot of a lot of guys that'll tell you why a female driver can't do it. Uh, but uh, I, I love it that that uh, we have this thing where they're going to show us why somebody can. The only drivers that don't want a woman driving in their series is they're worried about their own seat, not because they can't do it. Certainly, certainly. But I was referring to uh, uh, team managers and the like, and folks well, like yes. the Echo Stone and whatnot. So, yeah, well, hey, you know, the chauvinism fair. runs deep in the industry. So, but um, you know, you know, more more power to uh, to all those young ladies for getting out there and Indeed. just uh, making their dream 
of becoming a professional race car driver come true. So now, speaking of another series, Formula E, um, yep. it's, you know, on the outset, it looks very, very solid, you know, with tons of manufacturer support. But uh, indeed, they, in their first four years of existence, they've lost $104 million to $140 million. And now they're reporting they've lost another $29 million uh, so far this year. Uh, and this is a series that cost, I, I believe, uh, $900 million to run. Yeah. And they're, they're, yeah. So, uh, so Richard, uh, what are your thoughts on formerly, are they going to be able to keep this thing afloat or is, um, or, or the creditors, creditors going to come and shut it down? I think now that team, you know, privateer manufacturers are getting involved, I don't think that's going to happen because they've obviously got a vested interest. So if the governing body started to struggle, then teams would look at, you know, well, we're investing all this money. We need the sport to survive, so they're going to start propping it up. When you look at a series like A1GP that folded, all the cars were owned by the series. So if the series went under, the, t- the, the race teams are basically contracted to run the cars. So they weren't too bothered. They're like, no, we'll just go and find another series to run it. Whereas here, they're more vested, they're interested in it, and they're more involved in it. So I think you'd probably see them stick around or bail the sport out one way or another. So I think the sport will have a long-term success. Um, interesting enough, reading a report that um, in 2015, they were very, very close to going under. Um, and they've, they've managed to weather that, excuse me, weather that storm. And uh, I think the I think it's set to succeed. I think now you have the big manufacturers in there. The you know Mercedes are involved, and and, and you know Porsche and Audi, and you know some of these other big names. I think it's gonna you know, it will be a success, and it's got heavy backing from the FAA, not just a, a token gesture, should we say? This is heavily, heavily backed by the FAA and Jean Ton and guys like that. So I, I at the end of the day, they're you know what's their loss figure around about twenty percent. Yeah, I mean that's not a huge number these days. Um, you know, most uh, most companies, you know, sometimes they want to operate at a loss like that to avoid taxes and all this sort of stuff. So you've got to, you know, read those numbers a little bit carefully. But um, I think it certainly needs more publicity. And you know, you look at the driving field. I mean, you could argue that it's the second strongest driver lineup outside of Formula One, mainly because it's a lot of Formula One rejects. But, sure, uh, yeah. you know, it is a pretty good, you know, Jean-Eric Verne and Sebastian Buemi and and guys like that. Um, yeah, it's uh, in Alan, Alan Prost kid is in there, right? And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, Prost kid was in there. For, he was in there. I don't know if he still is now, but uh, uh, I mean, they've, they've done away with the um, the car switch for the pit stop. Yes, that's helped. You know, that I thought, 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 thought that was that was ridiculous. Now they can do a proper pit stop. Yeah. Um, but and now, and as far as <clears throat> just developing technology for road cars, you know, they, they there's more of a push to go to go electric. Um, and, and I firmly believe that, uh, uh, you know, had had we done things differently 30, 40 years ago, we may be all on electric uh, power by now. Uh, but but you know, we're still reliant on fossil fuels. Uh, do you feel like um, – I, I read an article that um, it, the sales of electric cars are down like 80-some percent over the prior two years, and largely just because uh, of the time it takes to charge and the you know the, the lack of distance you can go on a single charge. Uh, so yeah. it's not I – mean, it's great for – it's great for commuting back and forth to work and plugging her in overnight, but if you like to travel – 
you know, oh, sure. it, it's it's sure. not viable. Yeah. And we then more, a more of a, like a hybrid kind of thing, or a, yeah. is is more of the way to go. But uh, I mean, what what is your honest feeling that uh, the auto industry can get out of Formula E? Do you think they can? Uh, you being a bit of a technical guy, can they get to a point where they 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 can develop the the te- technology through racing to to kind of satisfy some of those concerns? So, going back to the early or well, late two thousands, I guess it was when the Kurs Energy re- re- Hybrid System, whatever you want to call it, came into play in Formula One. Um, I knew of a very good contact who was in a Formula One team, and they were developing their own hybrid system, and they had a Toyota powered engine at the time. And they actually, Toyota sent over some of their hybrid experts who had been working on the Prius and, and cars like that. And they just burst out laughing when they saw what the Formula One teams were doing. And then a year later, they, the same engineers came back and they were like, you're five years ahead of us in the space of a year. You know, that's, that's where racing series and things like that can, can far, far outpace the general population, for want of a better word. Um translating that technology back into industry is difficult. You know, the the budgets that these race teams work on far, far exceed anything that a, a road manufacturer could do. And, you know, they're maybe producing 20 batteries a year per team or 10 batteries per, per year per team. You know, a car manufacturer would have to produce 20,000 batteries a year or whatever, if not more. So it is difficult. Um, but saying that... You know, you look at the um, uh, computer industry, for example, you know, the rate at which that um, sort of has expanded uh, over the last 30, 40 years is incredible to think what um, what they've achieved. I mean, there's in, in the computing world, there's this concept called Moore's Law, which is like an exponential growth in performance. You know, you for every year, you double the performance of a of a component and it loosely based around that sort of concept but it's it's pretty true um you know you 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 know the the growth in, in the battery technology is, is big and you probably you're a long way off seeing you know uh, haulage trucks traveling from new york to la on a single battery charge that lasts three days and can do three thousand miles or whatever it is um but saying that you know i drive 20 miles a day to and from work. There is no reason whatsoever why I can have an electric vehicle. Now I'm driving 400 miles tomorrow, so I need a gas-powered car. But, it, you know, I, I wouldn't have a problem going out now and having an electric vehicle and a, a standard vehicle for and, and splitting it, you know. Um, obviously, there's huge political motivations both ways on that spectrum, you know, for developing, you know, the green initiative, if you like, with the um, battery um, process and also there are other political opinions leaning towards you know the use of oil and, and natural resources in in other parts of the world so it's a very difficult topic and it's one that you know could be a whole hour show in itself yeah certainly but i mean you know but the long and short of it though is you know the way to de- develop technology uh, is through auto racing uh, you oh, know for the, for the for the industry because i mean nearly everything on your car uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, had some sort of a start in racing. You know, even even if Unless you consider NASCAR, the yeah. 
you know, the rear view mirror was uh, invented yeah. by Ray Haroon for the, um, you know, for the first Indianapolis 500. And, you know, most of the, the, the plies and biases used in tires, um, you know, all, yeah. all came out of racing. Most of your engine management systems all came out of racing. The, oh, for sure. The, the telemetry and the, the, engine computers all come out of racing. So, so yeah. let's just, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to see Formula E succeed. Um, but I just, I just wonder where our other series will go, you know, like, like NASCAR and IndyCar, you know, both are really you know, NASCAR particularly is, is looking at ancient technology and IndyCar with a, a V6 turbo engine is, is not really forward thinking either. And they're having a hard time, you know, uh, convincing another manufacturer to come on board. So uh, I think we'll probably see that hybrid technology uh, that Formula One is using in those two series in the next, oh, 10, 10 to 12 years. What do you think, Seth? I honestly would not be surprised. Uh, and I keep hearing rumblings as far as NASCAR is concerned about at least, at the very least, an electric series that's completely separate from cup and Xfinity and truck but at the same time when i was at the ford performance uh breakfast luncheon uh earlier this year uh doug yates uh himself said that for the new engine that's supposed to be coming in 2022 they are looking at hybrid designs so if yeah, they're already looking I... Yeah. Well, you see, I have. Here's my point. I don't know how that would work in NASCAR because you're wide open for 80% of a lap. You know, you need to have regeneration in a hybrid system. You know, whether it's under braking or you know physical heat management and the heat braking or just general retardation. You're not going to get that on 75% of the tracks that NASCAR go to. I. Uh, I at least currently, they're do it. at least currently, uh, with a uh, completely new generation of car, they, at least, if everything from what they're saying and talking about and predicting comes to fruition, uh, they would not be able to flat foot it around any virtually any of the tracks other than maybe Daytona and Talladega in Michigan. Yeah, but I mean, they'd need to have a, a braking phase to you know regenerate i mean even if you have a hybrid system like the formula one cars do they they discharge and recharge throughout the whole race you know they don't start off at 100 percent and by the end of the race we're at zero percent they're charge of the battery throughout the lap i yeah, can't those, see those how are all, do that. yeah those are all considerations that are going to have to factor into what what the next move is for nascar so but uh, i i'd said honestly i don't know about the an entirely different electric series. It'd be interesting, you know, to have a U.S.-based electric series, but I I was talking to a guy the other day that proposed that, oh, IndyCar should start their own electric series just like Formula E, and I'm like, why would you do that? Because, you know, Formula E already exists. And you also yeah, have... So, uh, yeah, so to create a copycat... And it, Formula I mean, you E can, created a iPace, which is a touring car version, essentially, if I remember correctly. 
Right. So, yeah. So why create a copycat of something that's already there? Because the the success rate of copycat leagues. Oh, you know, I mean, just look up USFL, XFL, uh, American Basketball Association in the in Wikipedia and see how it uh, see how it is. So uh, now, Richard, when you were at RCR, um, you did you did as an experiment some stuff with some hybrid engine. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's work you can do with the battery systems. And, you know, back in sort of five or six years ago, there was a lot of, um, you know, unofficially, I guess is the best phrase to use. Fords were very dominant on super speedways. And we had a feeling, without knowing for certain, that they were they were playing around with putting battery power back into an engine. There's no guarantee that was what was happening, but we had a pretty strong since that was what was going on and, and the technology is there a lot of the alternators that you can find in regular road cars um, act as generators as well as um, consumers of power so you know little bits have been done obviously to get to a true i mean this was you know we did some calculations and you were maybe like one or two horsepower at most um you know far from the hybrid systems you see in formula one and even on road cars but there's potential there for sure. And I know some teams have sort of messed around with it um, and it's been clamped down on by the governing body as of now. But um, there's certainly potential there. Just I wonder how well it would go down with the fan base. You know, if they'd really buy into that. Maybe I'm being cynical there. I don't know. Uh, no, that's a that's a actual <laughs> a legitimate concern. You know that the fans wouldn't like it. You know, one of the one of the big knocks on Formula E is that the cars are so quiet. You know, it's like I, I, I could I, I could race slot cars at my house and it'd be louder. So yeah, I mean, if the racing's good, nobody cares. And I think the Formula E racing is pretty good. And I, for one, don't care. You know that they don't sound powerful. I mean, you know, yeah, it's nice to have the old V10s blasting around and making your ears bleed and what have you. But you know, times change. We've got to move on. Um, exactly you got to move on you got to move on so and we have to move on so <laughs> because we're uh we're we're steadily chomping through our hour but uh seth i want to allow you some time because you have spent a lot of time in the paddocks at nascar races and uh talking to uh nascar drivers team owners but you had a uh an opportunity this past week to go uh to the penske shop and uh Talk to their IndyCar drivers. You had a chance to uh, sit down and have a little time with uh, the Indianapolis 500 Will, winner, Will Power, and his teammate, Simon Passion. So uh, tell us a little bit about your um, your day up there at Penske Racing from last week. Well, it was a meet and greet for the fans, uh, and more so. But it was interesting, to say the least. Uh, I wasn't expecting that many people there where it is in NASCAR country. But to my surprise, uh, they had about 40 to 50 fans show up for that meeting greet. Uh, I had a few minutes before the meeting greet uh, to speak with Will Power and a few minutes after with Simon Pagano. Uh, we talked about several different topics. And during the meeting and greet in itself, uh, the drivers talked about some topics. Uh, one particular uh, with Will Power that I spoke to him about was the double uh, the Indy 500 and the Coke 600, mainly because it was a topic that he spoke about on the Dale Jr. download uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was asking some follow-up questions uh, to him. Uh, for one, with the new windscreen, which he 
it's almost guaranteeing it's coming next year. He believes that more drivers will be willing to attempt the double, uh, specifically Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, uh, possibly even Brad Keselowski. Uh, and on top of that, I asked him if he thought that if anyone would ever win the double, which honestly I don't think will happen. And he dead never say said, never. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? I know, I know. But he deadpanned and looked at me and said, "If anyone will ever do it, it would be Kyle Busch." Uh, and you know, and why not? It's, it's that's hard to argue. It it is hard to argue, and honestly, uh, some of the other topics we spoke about were just follow up questions. Like I said, to his uh, time on Dale Junior's podcast, just because there were a couple of topics they just briefly talked about, like uh, the fact that his 2011 uh, tub is in a tree in Dale Junior's car graveyard, for example, and he honestly is. Uh, still finds it surprising that somebody would collect uh, destroyed race cars. Um, but he also finds it funny that there are some people who visit Junior's property and still think it's a bobsled. That is funny. <laughs> so, so I mean, did you like Will? I mean, I've t- I've had a chance to talk to Will a couple times, and, and I think that that he's so funny and witty and a lot of that a lot of that doesn't translate on television but uh, when 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 you see the guy in person and talk to him his his dry wit is is i mean he's just i just i just love the dude man i just think he's hilarious so cool. I mean, did, did you kind of get that that feel the vibe that that you were surprised that uh the, the will you see on television is not quite the will you see uh, in real life well Honestly, for me, when I was interviewing him, uh, he had a much more serious tone than what you're describing. Uh, there oh, were a that's, couple. That's, that's because he won the Indy 500. He's a big shot now. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, there there were a couple of uh, questions I asked that got him laughing. Uh, one, which was a uh, again a follow up question uh, of banking sleep. Uh, apparently, there are times in which he will oversleep on purpose during the week and then uh, not sleep at all the day before a race. My question was if uh, it has ever caught up with him and he said uh, he's surprised that it hasn't as of yet that he's never found himself in a situation where uh, going sleepless the night before either qualifying or a race that it hasn't thrown him off his game. Interesting, interesting. And yeah, you, know, you got to speak with Simon after. Yeah. In fact, Simon's another guy that that is just bubbling with personality as well. I feel. Yes, and uh, Simon, uh, the first question right off the bat, uh, I'd asked him going back to uh, the days when car and, or I should say, Champ Car and IndyCar merged, uh, if he had, if he thought he would ever find a full-time IndyCar ride and how long it would he thought it would take him to get his footing in IndyCar. And he gave me a lengthy answer, which I'll be honest, uh, I love the fact that he went so far in detail. And at the end of his answer, he apologized for giving me such a long answer. 
Um, That's funny, yeah. You know, a lot of folks don't realize that both Will Power and Simon Pagano were teammates were, were in, at, in, champ, uh, in Champ Car. Team Australia. Uh, right, Team Australia that, that year before they the league folded, and then they, they were both left rideless uh, after the merger. Now, Power ended up with Penske thanks to Elio Castro Nevis' um, legal problems that kept him out of the, the couple of races. Uh, where they brought Will in the, to sub, and then, uh, you know, the, then Penske was impressed enough with Will, he put him in a couple other races, and the next thing you know, he's assigned full-time to the team. And then Simon was a little longer uh, until he was uh, until he landed with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. So, uh, and both those guys uh, back together again. Yes, and I'd asked Simon if he felt like he would be satisfied if he had not found a full-time IndyCar ride, if he would have been satisfied just running sports car racing and having more chances at the 24 Hours of Le Mans or even the 24 Hours of Daytona. And his reaction, I don't think he was expecting either my wording of the question or somebody that even asked him that question. But his reaction, he took a moment and he actually said that, yeah, he would have been satisfied because he understands things that don't always work out the way he expects them. Interesting. So, Sam, I'm glad you had a great time, and I hope you got some, you know, insight to the IndyCar guys. Or it sounds like uh, sounds like you had a, re- a great time. I'm looking forward to uh, reading your write up about that. But uh, we're down to a couple minutes left, so let's talk about Formula One. And it's so funny, Richard. We uh, <laughs> we started off this day talking how we have so few topics and. Once again, we're left with no time for Formula One. So, but uh, Formula One, uh, we're in Spain this weekend, beginning the European right. swing. So uh, Mercedes has had one, two in every race so far. So are, are yep. we going to see something different? God, I hope so. <laughs> God, I hope so. Oh, Seth, no, Seth, just, Seth just reminded me we made need to make picks for the Grand Prix of Indy. So once we talk about Formula One for a little bit, we'll make yep. picks for the Grand Prix of Indy as well as for the Formula One race. I mean, I, I genuinely think, that, I mean, everybody gets all sort of wound up on this. Oh, the same guys win every week. But you know what? If it's an entertaining and close competitive race, it doesn't really matter. You know, in reality, I, I, I'm not going to begrudge a, t- a team of engineers and, and um you know, technicians and mechanics and designers who go out and produce a good car. It's not their fault. You know, why, why criticize somebody for, for winning? Um, as long as it's entertaining. Uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's the most important thing in my book. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it is going to be hard for, for Ferrari to pass them. You know, I don't think there's a huge gap in the gulf in paces there. I, I genuinely don't think that they're, you know that far behind when it comes to results. I think it's the biggest issue is execution and prevention of faults. You know, you look at, um, you know, Bahrain, for example, where Leclerc had his issue. Leclerc then, you know, crashed him back. Now, you could argue that if he hadn't had the accident in Q2 and they'd been able to work together in Q3 and got a toe off each other as Mercedes did, then Ferrari could have been first and second on the grid in Baku, and we're talking about a completely different race result. So I think Ferrari's issue at the moment isn't necessarily raw pace. Yeah, it's not quite there. There's little, you know, little little chunks of pace missing, but it's not 
half a second a lap or even a quarter of a second. It's probably not even a tenth of a second a lap over the course of a race. It's probably half a tenth. But then there's also the execution fact. And what that means is that's not putting, you know, Mercedes are under pressure. So Mercedes can just execute their normal game plan without worrying about what Ferrari is doing. You know, they can, they can double stack cars and, and all this sort of stuff without being like, oh, well, you know, we've got to react to what Ferrari are doing. They, they know that if Ferrari aren't executing their, their plans correctly, then Mercedes will win. So that's what I hope. I, I, I hope that, you know, Ferrari bringing an upgraded engine early to Spain and they're great. Let's hope that gains them a little bit more performance. I don't think it's enough. I'll be surprised if it's enough. But I think the biggest issue for them is that they need to execute, you know, in the three practice sessions and qualifying in the race. If they can, you know, check those boxes, then I think it'll be a lot closer. All right. So that being said, who do you like to stand on the top step of the podium in Spain? Bottas. And Seth, who do you like? In Spain, uh, Leclerc. Okay. So I'm going to go with Hamilton. Because uh, you all left them for me. So then, then quickly, let's uh, <laughs> the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, which has been won by nobody except for the two guys you got to talk to last week, Will Power and Simon Pagano. Uh, three, I think Simon's got three, Will's got two um, of the five that have been contested. So uh, who do you like for the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, Seth? Uh, I'm going to go with their teammate, Joseph Newgarden. Yeah. Okay, not a bad pick. And Richard? Rossi. Rossi, yep. I, you know what? You stole my pick. I was going to say Honda's going to break this uh, Chevrolet stranglehold on the uh, IndyCar Grand Prix. Uh, you took Rossi, so I will take Takuma Sato. Oh. I, the dude has been spot on this year. You can't deny him that. So uh, no, He's been doing good. Boy, he's, been he's, good. Been, he's, he's been doing well. So All right. So any, any last-minute thought, guys, before we wrap up? So that's nope. a no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So uh, so next week we've got the Spanish Grand Prix, the Indy yep. IndyCar Grand Prix. We've got uh, um, NASCAR in Kansas. So we've got we've got a packed slate of races to talk about next week. Um, it's going to be a great weekend of racing. Um, and also Mother's Day coming up. Give her a hug. Um, you know, and uh, thanks to you, Seth. Thanks to you, Richard. Thanks to uh, the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Thank you, iHeartRadio. Thanks to all you folks that tune in and listen to us. And we'll talk to you next week. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 